For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Tina Turner has passed away at the age of 83. She dominates the front of many of the papers today. A lot of the red tops carry very similar headlines. You were simply the best is the headline in the sun today. The mirror has simply the best. Uh, Singer kept rolling on despite a turbulent personal life is the front pager and story in the star today. Sorry, the inside pages. Uh, 12 Grammys. Record sales of over 100 million in a career the top 60 years. The most famous legs in showbiz, they say. Tina Turner was simply uh, the best. She had a very turbulent start with a bully of a man, a slave driver of a man, a very cruel man, a sadistic man, a very violent man, Ike Turner. Uh, But she survived it. And uh, her message all through her career was not just great music, but also that there is always hope and there is always life after trauma. It's very sad uh, because her back catalogue is just astonishing. Uh, so the age of 83, uh, not not just music, but movies as well. And there's some double spreads in the Red Tops today, you know, photographically uh, detailing the career uh, of uh, the great uh, Tina Turner. We'll play a Tina Turner song in a few minutes' time, but that dominates. It's rare that, it's rare that you see so many newspapers actually paying so much uh, attention and, and respect an acknowledgement of a, a musician's uh, career. This morning's an example of that with the passing of uh, Tina Turner. Uh, the front page in the mail this morning, while on the examiner they're talking about an extra tenor on the pension in the next budget following the 12 euro uh, announcement in the, in the last budget. It would be actually probably across other forms of uh, welfare payments as well. Uh, that's a front page we're making this morning's examiner, while at the same time uh, more financial pressure is being heaped on hard-pressed families because Irish Life Health are announcing that they're upping premiums uh, by 5% from July. Uh, these are more increases. It's, it's, it's all of these increases that add up to uh, a pretty big hill of beans at the end of the day when it's coming at you from all sorts of different places. Um, you, know, with the, you know, you look at the cum of it then, it makes for, uh, for very depressing um, budgeting. Um, you know, you talk about the uh, old age pension increase. It's a very sad story, actually, in The Independent today. Um, it's actually an Australian story, but it was picked up by the wires. It's the story of a very frail, very, very, very light in weight 95 year old pensioner in Australia. And she was allegedly tasered by a police officer in her Australian care home. She died in hospital yesterday after that. It's a story out of New South Wales. A woman by the name of Claire Noland. She had dementia, the misfortune. And she was tailored, tasered by police after staff found her holding a knife outside her room in the, in the care home where she lived. Now, there has been an investigation in, within the police force as to why this actually happened. I suppose one of the big questions being act, asked in Australia, maybe all over the world for people following the story, is was there not a better way... I don't know what the I don't know what the the elderly woman weighed. I did read it in one of the papers this morning. I'm in front of you, but could be could have been somewhere in the region of maybe thirty five or forty kilos. I mean, she was very very light and frail. Um, she was tasered by police and, and died subsequently to it. Uh, there are a lot of political stories making the papers today. Yet another uh, Fine Gael TD has decided to. Uh, sling their hook and not run for the next general election. Um, David Stanton becomes the fifth Fine Gael TD in recent week to to announce that he won't be seeking re-election. Um, but it's quite interesting because they're already suggesting or making suggestions that who would replace replace David Stanton down east. And apparently the favourite would seem to be uh, sitting councillor Sinead Shepherd. 
Uh, and the papers love this because they love have the headlines like former pop star among new election hopefuls uh, for Fina Gale. Um, she's a well-respected local councillor and uh, they could... Uh, uh, they could find that uh, she could slip in there quite well, but it's a story that makes this morning's Independent Today uh, story down east. And there's a lot then. Yeah, it's actually good. The, the headline on that, actually, Kevin is telling me, Mayor, should actually have been The Good Shepherd. I like that. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, and all that will roll out if and when we have uh, a general. Well, we will have, but I'm not quite sure when. A general election. Interesting one from the court today. It's quite detailed, and I won't have much time to go into the detail of it, but it reminds me of other. Uh, altercations and, and fracas outside people's outside people's homes. The last one I dealt with in any kind of detail was Donna Mahan. But this is the story from Liam Healand in a court report in the Echo. It talks of a middle-aged woman describing being assaulted by a neighbour in Cork City, claiming that he called her a limerick B-I-T-C-H. And he said to her he'd put a .22 bullet in her head. Um, uh, half past, it's alleged that at half past two in the morning, she said, I could hear breaking glass. He was down by my gate at this stage. I opened my door to see what damage was done. He was telling me I was going to be dead by the morning, he said. He was picking up bits of broken glass and throwing them at me. Now, the defence solicitor uh, called the defendant himself uh, to give evidence, uh, and the defendant uh, did. A fellow called John Fitzgerald uh, from Churchfield. Uh, and Fitzgerald said, my father's a Limerick man. I'm very proud of Limerick. I have no reason to say anything bad about Limerick. Uh, sentencing's been adjourned now, but it's quite a lengthy court report. But it just goes to show um, the different kind of stories that uh, are dealt with in our courts on a on a daily basis. You know, one of the it's it's amazing how people have a, a thirst for good news stories or happy stories because God knows there's enough depressing negative stuff going on. I mean, I think we're in a period now over the last twelve or fifteen months. If you throw COVID into that as well, even longer when it's been quite negative, you know, by and large, and you have to work hard to find your positivity. But yesterday morning's programme, uh, I was talking on the air uh, with Cork woman, Cork mother, Georgina O'Shea. She's got a son called Leon. He's 19 now. He sounds to me like an incredible young man, a well-reared young man, so delighted now that his mam has given birth to little Riley, the miracle baby, after 23 miscarriages um, over a 10-year period. And we had a lovely chat yesterday, and it's picked up by all of the newspapers, by and large, because it's just a lovely story. It's just a happy story. And anybody that reads it will say, oh my God, that is just so incredible. So mother's miracle baby after 23 miscarriages. It makes the, the mail this morning. The lovely photograph actually of Leon, uh, Georgina and husband Ken and little Riley uh, inside in the CUMH. And they're such a little happy family, the four of them. Our miracle baby joy after 23 miscarriages is carried in the mirror as well. So it's lovely. There is a, another baby related story making the examiner and I just throw this out actually uh, by the way because I'm wondering how are facilities um, with regards to uh, changing a baby's nappy say for instance in, 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 in hotel lobby areas or restaurants or indeed in, in, in supermarkets or in office blocks and buildings how are we doing there because this is a story regarding uh, Croke Park I won't go into much detail on it because Eventually, the whole thing stopped and, um, you know, the, the case didn't proceed. Uh, but a woman who claimed she hurt her back because she had to change her baby's nappy on paper napkins on a dirty toilet floor due to the absence of baby changing facilities went on then to withdraw her personal injuries claim against Croke Park. Now, in one part of the court report from this, um, those that were representing Croke Park, the insurers, Allianz, said that there were actually 13 
baby changing facilities within the stadium in both the female and male restrooms. Uh, but I'm curious as to, um, are, is it getting better? You know, the earlier in the week I was talking about uh, mothers who want to breastfeed in public or given the opportunity to that, do that uh, discreetly or indeed not. Um, but I'm wondering as well about maybe uh, baby changing facilities. Is that getting better. Uh, One thing that isn't getting better is where we are going to put so many migrants that are coming to live in Ireland because we just don't have um, the accommodation for them. The Mail has an alarming story um, because here's my maths on this and yesterday morning I was accused of having shocking maths. My sums were never great incidentally. Hold my hand up for that. Um, But if we've got like say about 85,000 now when you combine international protection order applicants who are here in the country and Ukrainian uh, refugees. So that's the extra. Uh, that's on top of everybody else that is already in, in say, for instance, direct provision. But they're suggesting uh, that there could be a further 60,000 migrants expected by the end of this year. In fact, the mail um, has a different set of numbers to me. They're saying there's more than 100,000 Ukrainians and international asylum seekers um, arrived in Ireland since the start of last year. They're putting the figure at 100,000. So where are they? And, and there isn't places for them to live. So the crisis, if it's bad now, is only going to do one thing. And it's only going to worsen. And another thing that's happening, of course, as well, is the amount of protests that we're hearing about. This morning, there is yet another one being highlighted. Uh, and this one is uh, uh, up the country. Uh, with the papers talking about issues now above the, in, the, in the West Coast. I, won't, I mean, if I was to go into all of the different areas where there are protests now, I'd be here half the morning, but uh, 1,400 asylum seekers uh, with lost or destroyed passports is the story making the mirror today. And it's a news talk story of 1,465 asylum seekers stated that they had lost or destroyed their passports upon arrival at Dublin Airport. Now, over 5,000 asylum seekers came into Ireland last year alone with false documents or with no documents at all. So false is fake, right? False is fake. Um, so much so now, apparently, that there are incidents where the Gardaí are getting onto the planes now to ensure that they have the adequate paperwork before they get off. But what happens if they don't have the paperwork? Do they have to stay on the plane? What happens next? Parents, the papers also talk today um, of uh, Meta, who own Facebook. 490 staff at Facebook's Irish HQ have been made redundant. Now, uh, Simon Coveney this morning on Marling Ireland said this has nothing to do with the performance of Meta or Facebook or whether they're happy to be in Ireland or not. It's just that they hired too many staff during, say, for instance, COVID when everything uh, rocketed. So they're they're cutting 10,000 jobs in all. Of which nearly five hundred of them, another five hundred, will be in uh, in the, the Irish HQ. Actually, I should have mentioned this when I was talking about Garda matters, but it's kind of a light-hearted story. But apparently, um, if you are going uh, to Disneyland Paris this summer and you see Irish Gardaí there, don't be surprised. It's a novel idea, but Irish uniformed Gardaí will be patrolling the massive site of Disneyland Paris with one thing in mind offering advice to any Irish holidaymakers who need help. I mean, the French... No, I I like it. The French have a reputation of being quite curt, right? Or dismissive. You might go to say that, say that the French have uh, maybe a reputation of being rude. Yeah, well, I suppose... I never found them rude, but I suppose it helps when you... You, you know, speak of the lingo. You speak of the lingo, yeah. so it kind of makes it a bit easier. But uh, I just have this idea of, like, 
I don't know. This is a terrible idea. This is a stereotype in my head, but I have this idea of, you know, like all these tanned, beautiful people walking down the boulevard of Paris and then one Irish fellow with a big ginger head and, you know, the full full suit, the shirt and everything, the big day glow jacket. How are you? How are you? Morning. No, is that the show? It's it's Disneyland Paris. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The boulevards in Disneyland Paris. No, I'm saying that's what I'm saying. Do you need, do you need, do you know what Tunnel Mountain is? Do you need to know what Tunnel Mountain is? Excuse me. I tell you how the candy flash here is magic. Jesus, they're getting a great, oh, a great no, run. No, I, no, I love it, I love it, I love it. Actually, I, I imagine that there's going to be a long queue of guard applicants looking for the job, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, need, I need five tickets there now, Sarge. <laughs> do they uh, need uh, some civilian staff to do the paperwork for them then afterwards? Yeah, I'll go Back over up. as a translator. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I just love the idea of them. Like, do, you ba- know, do you know the speed you were walking <laughs> <laughs> Some, some fella, some fella outside Thunder Martin M- Mountain with a Gatso gun, just, just catching them all for speeding. <laughs> speed gun. <laughs> they come down the hill. Speed gun. Uh, just sweating oh, in the. Man, leave, it alone, leave, Sorry, it alone, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. They're actually, because they'll have to fly there. But flying out of Dublin Airport, a total and utter disaster. I just don't like it because invariably I have to come in at maybe twelve o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning, and you're the same as me. We don't want to be going in and out of Dublin Airport, lads. But Kenny Jacobs, who was the number two at Ryanair for years, is now the boss of Dublin Airport. And he says, we can improve the security issues there, but we need more money for it. He's been in the papers a lot this week, has Kenny Jacobs, because earlier in the week he was saying, lads, he was saying, paraphrasing, Dublin is the main international airport in Ireland. The rest of them are regionals. And, you know, being a proud Corkman and a rebel, I'm very proud. You couldn't help but get the hackles up in your back when somebody says that. You're nothing but a regional airport down there. He didn't say that. I'm just paraphrasing it. But they're they're now warning people at Dublin Airport that the car parks are full. (laughs) So the warning now, um, unless you can get a taxi directly to the runway. Passengers heading to Dublin Airport in the coming days have been told its car parks will be completely full. Make alternative arrangements. Thank you very much. And there's another flight story. I'm telling you that already, I was talking about this, they're turning up the heat on Keelty before he ever even starts doing the Late Late Show. And um, They really are. They're poking the bear. And I can understand where Tuberty was coming from for quitting because he says, at least you won't have me to kick around anymore, he was saying to the media. But apparently now the Mail are saying, well, there is this initiative within RTE where they've told staff that they should avoid any kind of air travel because they have a new climate action plan within RTE. So the Mail says, hmm, it's very interesting considering that Patrick Keelty will be jetting in and out of London every week to present the Late Late Show. Uh, and the, the, apparently the, the, um, the mystery has been solved about this throuple. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail because it bores the pants off me, but you guys might be interested in the story of uh, Una Healy, David Hay and Cyan Osborne. Double page spreads actually in many of the papers. The truth about me, David Hay and our throuple affair. Apparently she was in a relationship, don't know if she still is, but she was in a relationship with David Hay, but she was not in a relationship with Cyan. So, problem solved, move on. If you're sharing your network Netflix passwords with friends... And I know that people do because I was blue in the face with it years ago. I remember logging in one day and somebody from Galway was watching my Netflix. It just happened to be a buddy or a pal of the one of the family. But apparently Netflix now are going to stop that. They are starting now to send out emails to people explaining that the account is only for one household and they'll be able to know 
who and where the other people are. But what are they going to do about it, though? Cut you off? Lose the premium? But anyway, just, just, just finally for now, there's a page in this morning's examiner that I absolutely love. It's in the arts and culture section, and it says, 25 summer gigs to enjoy in Cork. Uh, and th- this is just more proof that summer has arrived and it's going to be great. A bumper crop of live music events in Cork over the next few months, and they list them all. And a lot of them are down at Live of the Marquee, and it will be Christy Moore, and it will be Ollie Moores, and it will be all the rest of them, the Water Boys and people like that, Jenny Green. But other gigs as well that are happening, Keen De Crow in Cypress Avenue, Stiff Little Fingers, um, and uh, Glenn Matlock from the Sex Pistols. I mean, you can be here all morning, the 75 playing Musgrave Park, Paolo Nettini playing Musgrave Park. A whole list of them, together with colour photographs of the artist, is just terrific. So thankfully, we got a lot of activity. I received a big uh, bundle uh, of uh, Live of the Marquee tickets this morning from Aiken Promotions. Thanks to Aiken for that. And I will be giving them away in the coming weeks um, on air but also I'll be giving a lot of the tickets away for Live of the McKee on my own Instagram page so if you're not following me on Instagram perhaps you might like to consider it but finally uh, the death of Tina Turner at the age of 83 we had a lot of chats as, this morning as to what song to play people were saying Not Bush City Limits others were saying a Proud Mary more were saying that it should be uh, simply the best um, and there are many to choose from, but I'm just going to do a solo call on this one, if you don't mind, uh, because I think this one, for me anyway, maybe for you guys, sums up the emotion that Tina Turner can actually, uh, you know, her music was capable uh, of, of, of turning out, because this particular song, I think, goes through a whole gambit of various emotions. It's got a great tune, it's got a great hook, it's got a fantastic uh, storyline through it, uh, and she just kind of sells her soul for it. It's Private Dancer. one of Tina Turner's signatures, showcasing her unique sound, look, and moves. That's my style. I take great songs and turn them into rock and roll songs on stage. Icon, survivor, a queen of rock and roll. Tina Turner began life as Anna Mae Bullock in rural Tennessee. As a teenager, she moved to St. Louis, where she met rocker Ike Turner. Ike was very good to me when I first started my career. Started to sing weekends with him, and we were really close friends. The Ike and Tina Turner Review's first hit came in 1960 with A Fool in Love, a song they performed on Shindig. They married in 1962, and in 1966, recorded River Deep, Mountain High. was a hit overseas, but flopped in the U.S. Offstage, Ike's drug abuse fueled violent outbursts. I had had a lot of violence. Houses burned, cars shot into the lowest that you can think of in terms of violence. After years of physical and emotional abuse, Tina left Ike in the mid-70s with nothing but her name. At one point, relying on food stamps to survive. In the early 80s, Turner's cover of Let's Stay Together reignited her career. 
private dancer followed in 1984, a runaway critical and commercial success. The album featured her only number one song. Though she wasn't a fan. I didn't like it. I wasn't accustomed to singing those kind of songs. It was also the title of a 1993 film starring Angela Bassett based on Tina's autobiography. Did the picture do it justice? Yes, I think in a way I, I would have liked for them to have had more truth. But according to Disney, this, it's impossible that people would not have believed the truth. Turner herself appeared in movies such as The Who's Tommy and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. She sang its theme song. as well as the theme to the James Bond film, Goldeneye. One major role she turned down would go to Oprah Winfrey in The Color Purple. It was too close to my personal life. I had just left such a life, and it was too soon to be reminded of. The What's Love Got to Do With It soundtrack gave Turner another hit. Her personal favorite? It was very special because at the time when I got it, no one believed in it but me. Turner continued recording and touring into her 80s. She was honored by the Kennedy Center in 2005 and inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a solo act in 2021, 30 years after her first induction as part of a duo with Ike Turner. All the while, her Buddhist faith kept her going. The cause you make this lifetime can be the effect of a better life the next, next lifetime. It will be better and gets better and better. It's a fabulous report. I think it's incredible. That's ABC7 out of Chicago and their tribute uh, to uh, Tina Turner. Uh, very, very sad that she died uh, yesterday at the age of 83. I was contacted on Instagram, incidentally, by people who told me you should be talking to Rebecca O'Connor, who does the simply the best uh, Tina Turner tribute act, apparently. Rebecca, good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning. It's, a, it's a very sad day for you because they were telling me that you were obsessed by Tina Turner, even oh, growing God. up as a young girl. Yeah. Absolutely love her as a kid. Yeah, I ended up making a career out of it 32 years later. I'm still 32 years. But you must have known this day would come sooner or later. I know, I know. I'm devastated now, I must say. It's like, oh, she's a powerhouse. Like, you know, yeah. I was thinking, actually, they say that she's a, a music icon, but she's actually, a, she was a life icon, wasn't she? Absolutely. The stuff that she went through and, yeah, her voice alone is unique. Then her, her stage presence, everything that she went through as a woman. Yeah. Oh, my God, the beating. Yeah. She just came through it all. Yeah. Just, yeah. From poverty yeah, to some amount of fame to unbelievable yeah. physical and emotional abuse, back to poverty again, and then, of yeah. course, to international stardom. Do you ever see her yeah. live? I did years ago in Dublin. What was that like? In Dublin, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely outstanding. Tell me about the act then. You say 32 years doing the Tribute Act. Yeah, the show is called Rebecca O'Connor's Simply the Best. And it's, um, I'm doing it all around the world now at the moment. 15 years this show is going. And um, it, I do all her hits, full of dancers. It's, all, it's a theatre show. So, Oh, you've um, got a dance troupe as well? Oh yeah, the whole lot. 
And when you say all over the world, where have you played? Well, I'm, I played in Galway, um, where am I? Wexford National Opera House. No, I know the Irish ones, but have you taken it to the States or the UK or anything like that? No, Dubai and Dubai. Australia. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be heading to the States next year, yeah. I've seen photographs of you when you're dolled up like Tina and you're a dead ringer for her with the with the wig and the and the dress and the sequencing and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do about, yeah, there's about seven or eight outfit changes in the middle of the show. And this all started as a as a teenager in Cove, is that right? Because uh, everybody's yeah. mammy and daddy would be looking at the clothes you'd be going out wearing as a teenager, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> I was a little different to the rest of them. So how did you how did you get around that? Well, I used to actually sneak out the bedroom window and actually have my clothes outside the window and uh, run over to my friend's house and then get dressed in my friend's house and go off to the disco. So you'd, you'd go out in fairly regular, acceptable clothes yeah, to a parent. Dad, bye dad, yeah, Outside would be your Tina Turner gear, is totally it? Totally different. Back <laughs> home, the hair, the lips, the, the high heels would go on, the mini skirts. Jesus, you wouldn't be doing it now. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and do you do... Do you do the you do the full repertoire then? Do you have Tina hits? Oh, it's full. It's absolutely full on. Yeah, she's endorsed the show, so I'm the only I'm the only one endorsed um, worldwide. How does that happen? That Tina Turner herself would endorse your show? Yeah, well, because what happened was my manager managed me with Mac for twenty three years, so he's my he's managed me for fifteen, and he managed he Fleetwood my- Mac. He's just written a book recently, hasn't he? Yeah, he's in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I I think I have a preview copy of that book. Anyway, go on. Yeah, go on. So he managed Fleetwood Um, Mac. Yeah, go on. He Roger Davies was Tina Turner's manager, and Dennis is from Australia, and so was Roger Davies. So they knew each other growing up. When he was managing the Mac, Roger Davies was managing Tina Turner, so they become friends. And that's what happened was when Dennis heard me singing on a CD, he gave the CD to Roger and Roger gave it to Tina. Tina thought it was herself. <sighs> yeah. Uh, I so, know. So she was okay with that and endorsed it and said, yeah, yeah. this is good. I, I uh, you know, I, I acknowledge and I, I appreciate your work. Yeah, she said, Rebecca's so good. It's scary. If I had her energy today, I'd still be touring and tell Rebecca that um, to keep my music alive and yeah Isn't that very generous though because you think that some of these superstars would get the hump like but she didn't Yeah she didn't Fantastic she, Yeah Fantastic Yeah So she thought she's only me and the music and that you know really has the copyright to be able to do it you know and you're going to continue to do it, and on, I mean, your your honouring of Tina Turner becomes even more important now that she's passed away. Well, yeah, she's, you know, I she was like, she was not only um, a singer to me, like it was her colour and everything, you know, growing yeah. up around Ireland. I was the only black girl growing up around Cork, and it was like I did not know um, that. Did you did you feel quite isolated? Back in the day? Back in the day, yeah. Well, I'm 48 now, so... But, like, back in the 70s, it was different, a lot different. So she really... 
um, influenced me that way as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Was it tough yeah. being uh, a, a black kid in Cork in, in the 70s? To be honest with you, not at all. Good, good. Not at all. Good. I had a fabulous life. Good. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're playing yeah. the Opera House on June 10th, I hear, is that right? I'm in the Opera House on June 10th and I'm in the INEC on June 9th, so... Yeah, that's going to be great. They'll sell out. Yeah. They'll sell out. Give me a couple oh, of t- give me a couple yeah. of tickets to give away. Go on. Go on, then. <laughs> I give you two tickets to um, <laughs> the Opera House. Opera House and two to the INE. Oh, you're in a very generous mood this morning. Two for each of them. You're so so kind. I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna play some of your own stuff in a few minutes' time, Rebecca. Yeah, I'm just trying to get my hands on some of your audio. Um, oh so, my god! Yeah, I so okay. I hope so too. But I have a funny feeling you will be. If you're good enough for Tina Turner, you're good enough for us. I can tell you. Oh, thank you. All right, girl. Listen, thanks for taking the call. Best of luck. Oh, and so, 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 so sorry, so sorry with the news of Tina's passing because it has. Oh, I know it's devastating. Hey. Yeah, it's not. It's Absolutely. not. It's not. It's not. It's not anything that we like to hear about. But that's life no. for you, inevitably. No. All right, girl. Look after yourself. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cheers. All the okay, best. Thank you. Take care. A little clip of Bye. Rebecca doing Tina. speechless that's incredible I mean that is just incredible because you've got a big band there you've got Rebecca doing her thing and obviously I'm imagining a big dance troupe as part of and all of the costumes and things that are going on it's a highly professional show that is just top class she is a dead ringer for Tina Turner okay lines are open for that we'll clear those right now if you don't mind two tickets for Rebecca's show at the Opera House and two tickets for the uh, INEC gig only call if you can go if you're a Tina Turner fan you will love these gigs so we'll take callers 9 and 10 pick up the phone 0818104106 back after the break talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818104106 Cork's Red FM talking about Cork Airport and Dublin Airport earlier on and uh, Kenny Jacobs of the DAA here's a question for you and it's a very short question it'll be a kind of like, almost like a one word answer if there was an extra flight or a new flight announced out of Cork Airport where would you like it to be flying to if there was a new flight and you could pick it out of Cork Airport where would it be to text 0868104106 and we'll see if we can get some uh, some research on that and then present it to them see if uh, they might be able to help out. So what one new flight out of Cork Airport would you like to see? Where would you like to go? Imagine a lot of people would say possibly Greece, but text where you think it should be. Text 0868104106. I want to chat with, uh, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing her, her name right, Geith Andre uh, this morning because uh, I've been reading the events uh, regarding her son Chinook over the past couple of days and it makes for harrowing reading. So Geith Andre, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good. Can you, can you hear me okay? I can, yeah. Okay, it's a shocking phone line. Are you on a are you on a speaker phone? I wonder. Uh, no, it's uh, no, it's a normal. <laughs> okay. Uh. Okay. No, I'll tell you what, I'll have to get a better phone line than this and come back to you and do justice to what you have to share with us. Is that okay with you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. My apologies. I know it's a difficult thing and I know you're you're nervous, so I do appreciate your patience. 
I will come back when the line is cleaned up. Uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And we were talking yesterday with regards to prices and uh, cost increases. And we were chatting on the air about how you could possibly save money. Uh, a lot of money, if, you, if people are saying that one person said, if you really are drilling into your spend, um, like we were suggesting yesterday, a lot of money goes on entertainment where money seems to be no object whatsoever. Texts are saying that could be a first place to look. Uh, where is your money going? Well, it's going to pay overpaid politicians and civil servants. Uh, oh, and by the way, a fifth of all of your money is going on VAT, uh, which goes to the EU ultimately. Another fifth of your money, says Pat, goes on tax which is 40% of all of those prices. Next time you have a government TD on, Neil, ask them, how can they justify that electricity and gas are luxury items, which is the criteria of adding VAT? That's an excellent point, Pat. It really and truly is. And how can they justify, actually, the fact that even though prices have plummeted for energy since the prices 12 months ago, none of it has been passed on uh, to the consumer. Uh, you focused recently on baby formula going up in price. Everything has skyrocketed. Um, the nuts from my dog, a 2kg bag, have gone up from €11 Euro to €18. Euro. Also, as well as that, the same nuts now look different, probably because they're now putting cheaper ingredients but they still up the price. It struck me that it's no wonder people are handing their dogs back to the dog's home. That's an interesting text. Yeah, and I was talking earlier on about it being, you know, all the little bits and pieces that, you know, ultimately end up costing you a fortune when everything has increases on it. I was looking at a bag of coffee beans that I buy. Um, it's the uh, it's the one kilo bag, which this time last year was €14.50 Euro 50, uh, for the Lavazza coffee beans, €14.50. Euro 50. Now it's 17 euro. And, you know, these are the kind of increases. They're fairly substantial increases when you look at it. And if that's happening everywhere, then, of course, it creates all sorts of problems. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Talking earlier in the week with Lena and her, about herself and uh, her guide dog, Traxy. And then we got a call from Damien, who owns the dog and was responsible for the dog, Bell, that uh, led to knocking over and, and hurting poor old Lena. She's totally blind. Um, and many people have been getting in touch with regards to that. And certainly when Damien said he was contemplating putting down Bell, and it reminded me when we were chatting about, uh, you know, pets and putting down pets and the sadness of having to put a pet to sleep. Sleep. Uh, Pauline says, I heard you mention recently in your show about pet bereavement. I'm so glad you brought up the issue because I lost my beloved dog in March of 2022. He was only six years old and his death was sudden. And to say I was absolutely bereft is an understatement. Myself, my husband and three children adored him. We still do and always will. To some, when a pet dies, we're told to just get on with it. It's only a dog. But he was much more than that. He was a beloved family member. I can honestly say that many, many tears were shed when he passed. And I still shed a tear. I miss him desperately and think of him so often. It was the silence, you see. No barking, no sound of his paws on the timber floor, frantically scurrying for a ball we had thrown or searching around for his favourite toy. No warm fur lying next to me on the couch as we relaxed watching television. Never again to see his excitement when the food made a loud noise against the stainless steel bowl. His beloved cosy bed that we christened his Snuggles because he just sat in it so warm and snuggled into it. When we mentioned the word walk, 
the excitement was unreal. Most of all, the excitement that greeted me when I returned home. Had I just been away for five minutes or five hours, it was as if he hadn't seen me for days. He was surely my loyal companion. The love is unrequited. And he loved me no matter what. Neil, I could go on and on, but I just wanted to give a little glimpse of life with a dog and how empty and sad it is after they have left us. Thank you so much, my loyal listener, Pauline. I think that's a beautifully written email uh, on many different levels because it's Pauline's own personal story of the loss of her pet at such a young age, incidentally, six years. But anybody that has had a dog can relate to that particularly after the dog has passed away, just the silence of it, the emptiness of, of the home. And you are right when you say, uh, of course, the dog, your dog would be very much loved and adored, not just by Mammy and Daddy, but certainly by by the kids. So it's very sad that dogs don't live longer, isn't it? Um, and uh, I think, you know, it's just the, the, the kind of like, the, the, the loss of a dog for many is like just the exact same as the loss of a, a family member. So thank you for that. I'm quite sure the people listening to it will certainly be able to empathise if they've been through it. My apologies to Geith Andre. That phone line was shocking, so I'm told it's a better phone line. I do really want to hear her story involving herself and her son uh, who lives with autism and she has an awful hard time of it. But that shouldn't surprise you in this country when it comes to services with children. So I will do justice to the conversation after 10. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. So get involved, guys. Text. I've been asking the question, if Cork Airport were to announce a new flight, where should it be to? Where would you like that new flight to be to from Cork Airport? Get involved. Text 0868-104-106. Back after 10. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Okay, let me see if that's a, a better phone line with regards to my conversation with Keith Andre. Keith Andre, good morning. Good morning. Yeah. That's much better. And my apologies for that. But because of what you want to chat about, I want the phone line to be right. I got an email from you and you say, um, I'm emailing you with the heaviest of heart and pure disappointment, fear and heartache. You also sent me a photograph of your 15-year-old son, Chinook, who lives with autism. And he looks very, very distraught, very yeah. upset. Yeah. Sadly, without wanting to frighten people this morning, has a lot of blood on his hands and his face. Why? So, uh, well, Chinook had a bit of a meltdown yesterday and usually like when he has a meltdown because he could harm us, I kind of keep him in the hall and try to lock myself outside. So like there was a loose uh, door handle and I think uh, like when he gets angry, he doesn't know what he's doing. So he kind of likes to throw things up and catch. So this door handle, like this was the one he kind of got hold of and he was throwing up and like it was kind of probably falling on his head and uh, like he continuously did it. So basically he knocked his head and that's the reason for the blood and there's a huge bump on his uh, forehead and... It's like, I mean, this has been like, the thing is, Chenuk is a lovely, lovely boy. Like he has, he was, he was so good last year. There was like, you know, he has like, he's with his autism, he has his problems and everything, but he had a really good year last year. But since turning 15 in September, like, I don't know, I'm thinking it's the hormones. Yeah. He has like. 
he's been so angry and I have been begging the East Cork uh, Children's Services for help. And every day it's like, oh, he's on a waiting list. And I have like, I have been begging. His teacher has been begging. Everybody has been like, he goes to the, uh, goes to Skaltry as a special school. Good one. And yeah. like, but the thing is, Neil, like there is no help whatsoever. Like the teacher has to do everything. The teacher and the SNAs have to do everything. There is absolutely no help. Okay. Shenuk needs speech therapy. Like he has speech, yeah. but like, like he talks only when he wants to. He chooses when to talk and when, like you know. Is he, you he's a, a big. He's a big lad now, isn't he? He is. He's so strong. Like it's very difficult to control him when he gets into these tantrums. And it's so unfair. Like it's, and I feel so sorry for him because I don't know how to help him. And I have been begging these people, and every day there is some kind of lie, and it's not fair. Like why? Like the thing is, the minute he turns sixteen, they're going to say, "Oh, he's sixteen. We have to, you know, he has to go somewhere else." So when he turns so sixteen, he will no longer be under child services. Is I don't, I don't, I don't know, Neil. Uh, to tell you the truth, I have no idea. I'm clueless. I'm just going with the flow. But I, he I has, but no he idea. has never received any psychological intervention what? or occupational therapy. Speech. Absolutely. For since he started Skaltrias, we have been begging and begging and begging every year. every time I call them. Oh, uh, Chenuk, uh, we uh, we discussed about Chenuk at this meeting. He's still on a waiting list. And That's how does it I'm make you feel? How does it make you feel to know that there are many, many other families sadly oh, listening to this in the very yeah. It's horrible, Neil. It's just horrible. You are just like you're on your own. We have no help. You're so lonely. It's just so desperate. I, I just don't know what to, how to deal with everything. It's, we're trying everything under the sun, like everything. It's just like, I mean, the last resort, like the whole time. Now, last week, I didn't send him to school thinking like he might hurt himself yeah. or hurt someone. I'm so scared that... Uh, because like, there you know, could be meltdowns happen. at school with the other yeah, kids see, and Shenuk teachers. is very sound. So he is very like he has sound uh, sensitive sound sensitivity and yeah. uh, like especially when the children cry now I took him to school on Monday and the minute he now he was very anxious going in but the minute he got out of the car there was a, ch- a child screaming in the playground and Chenuk totally lost it and he went into the class and he was hitting himself uh, on uh, he was hitting his head on the uh, wall oh, so it's just it's I'm looking like, I mean, I'm looking at his photograph here um, yeah. And he's got his head in his hands, and he looks yeah. as if he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. He looks know, frustrated. He he, lo- he just he looks lost. He is. I'm telling you, he is. Like, What's what so do you think is going through his head in this I photograph that I'm looking at? I, I don't know. He keeps saying sorry, mommy. Sorry, mommy. And like he's he's so sorry he did that, but he's just like he just can't help it. And it's just heartbreaking. And this has been going on and like absolutely no one to help me. You said in your you said in your email to me, you know, heaviest of heart, pure disappointment, fear and heartache. And you sent me the picture of Chinook after the meltdown and he's so 
remorseful and sorry. Um, but he goes then with you to South Dock with serious head injuries. What happens yeah. then when you go to South Dock and when you went with the serious head injuries? He, he was he was very calm, actually, to be honest. Like, I gave him my phone and he was very good. He was looking at the phone. So the doctor was so good. Like, she actually examined him and they kind of, um, there was a cut uh, on his uh, head. So that's that's why the the bleeding. So they kind of glued it. And uh, so basically, I have to kind of keep him home now because, uh, like, we don't know how bad the head injury is. So they're not in a uh, position to refer him as an emergency case for intervention, no? <laughs> I mean, like my doctor has been emailing oh, them. Right. Everybody yeah. has been yeah. emailing them. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, it's a, like the re, they're kind of what they're saying is, oh, there is no one. Like we don't have speech therapists. We don't have OT. We don't have psychologists. I mean, <laughs> I, it's a joke. I'm telling you. And when when the, when the meltdown is coming on, you can tell that he's going to have um, a, an episode, can you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. and and that's why and that's why you, you you said in the email that um you 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 have to take measures before it arrives the meltdown arrives because otherwise he might attack me or his sister has that happened? Yeah, loads. I mean, loads of times. I mean, even like two weeks ago. Now he loves going into um, the uh, Down Syndrome Island uh, charity shop in Cork. That's his only place to go and get his DVDs. And uh, like, I think uh, two weeks ago we went and the shop was closed. So he kind of sat for a good one and a half hours thinking the shop will open. Uh, but obviously like uh, the volunteers, when they, there is a volunteer only, they'll open. And they're so good to him over there. They kind of even let him go to the I showroom know. and get yeah. all the DVDs. And, and did, he, you, so did you good. sit with them for the hour and a half waiting? Yeah, yeah. And he was trying to open the gate and uh, everything. But so I kind of slowly took him uh, to the car park like, uh, and then... Uh, myself and my husband we had to kind of basically drag him to the car then he got really upset and like ended up like so upset we had to kind of push him into the car and then like he actually put his finger right up my husband's nose and it was all blood the whole play. like he was bleeding mad and then he was kind of trying to get hold of me so I was covered in bruises so it's just like it's it's horrible when his meltdowns happen and like I have to protect everybody so I don't I am scared that like and he he doesn't know what he's doing when that I'm happens I'm sure I know that it's not intentional oh, and, no. and like it's not and this has been like it, it, since October it has been gradually building up because he was not this violent at all and I have been begging the team please can you come and tell me what I should do what we should do even at school but absolutely nothing nothing so, no like, advice I can't, I, Here, here's nothing. my here's Here's my worry, and yours too, probably, is that because he's a big lad, that he will really yeah. hurt himself at some stage. I mean, yeah, my I'm so scared when he hits his head. Like there'll be some a major head injury, and I'll end up like I'm scared that he'll kill himself, like by doing it. That's my biggest fear. And like uh, uh, the only thing they can say is he's on a waiting list. I mean, is that fair? Like no, it's I not mean, fair. It's inhumane. It's, it's cruel. It's, it's so cruel and they just don't give like um, I'm just so annoyed I kind of sent a really nasty email this morning with the picture on as well and said look here are you waiting for him to kill himself please come and help me it's so this, unfair this waiting list does anybody actually tell you how long no. on the waiting list because you have no. been years on it 
Yes, on it. It's ridiculous. And please note, this is like not only Chinook, everyone, pretty much everyone in Skaltrias. as being a special school. There should be hands-on. Like um, they have, li- they leave everything up to the teachers and their seniors. And it's just they are amazing over there, but they need all the help. It's so unfair for like us to deal with all of this. It's there's absolutely no help. Do you worry for his future though? God, I don't think life. about it. You don't think about it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not going to think about it because I'm just going to live every day as it as it comes. Because if I do, it's going to destroy us. It's it's so scary. Have you gone to school today now? No, I can't send him because the doctor said not to. He has to uh, like not to uh, put him under any stress. And like if he goes to school because the children in there kind of they're loud and everything that really upsets him so that might kind of you know yeah, injure just, him or whatever. I know, I know. just looking at, at some stats here um, which are relevant to our conversation where it says that, that uh, up to the end of 2022 there were 9,650 children waiting over 12 months now that could be 2 years 3 years 5 years 7 years whatever so there's nearly 10,000 children waiting um, and they break it down into a map then. Um, there's a further, there's, oh, it's disappeared, sorry, but 9,650. And when you break it down uh, map-wise in the Cork area, there's 1,488 children waiting at least 12 months or longer. Now, 12 months would be the minimum. It could be years. So you're one yeah. of you're one of nearly 1,500 in Cork and something yeah. in the region of six and a half thousand across the country. Yeah, I've been waiting three years now. So, and like three years, like when he was thirteen, we could have done so many, so much stuff and in- intervention like, you know, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what they need. And like he's like when he's good, he is just amazing. Like he's just the best. And th- I mean like. I, I like I was so kind of because of all the COVID and everything. I was so nervous because he had a really tough time. But last yeah, year because COVID, of course, so he would have been very much confined to barracks. Oh, and the routine would go yeah, out the window. Window, but then last year my sister lives in the states, and I actually took him to America, and he was so good. Like you can just imagine how good he can be. And then the minute we came here, the I don't know something happened. I have no idea. I'm, thinking it's the hormones but like these are things it's a difficult age uh, it's a difficult age for boys and girls when they hit like 14 15 it is yeah but then that's the whole reason the team is there to help us guide us to tell us what to do but no absolutely not it's their only excuses there's no stuff but that's not good enough for us is it and when you're on a list you don't know where on the list you are you know how long you're on it but you don't have a number or anything yeah, yeah. Oh, they're like the latest, latest is like uh, in, I think in April they had a meeting and Chinook was discussed. So he's still on a waiting list. That's the email I got. I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. It's really like... Uh, you sound worn out. You sound so worn out. I'm, I'm wrecked. I'm just, I just don't know. I have no help. I have no family here. It's only me, myself, uh, sorry, myself, my husband and the two kids. Like we are so on our own. And it's just so heartbreaking. Yeah, you sound lost. You really do. I don't think I've ever seen the country in such bad shape in so many different ways, yeah. you know. I mean, if they need if they need staff and they need professionals, hire them, for God's sake, you know. Well, Stop yeah, wasting money in other areas and spend it where it really just, is needed. 
Exactly. That's just it. I mean, they're just wasting. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know whether you want to blame the government or what, because like, even if somebody comes and sees a child that's cultures, they'll come and tick the boxes and then that's it. You won't hear from them for another yeah, six but they, months. They won't be that's there when the meltdowns arrive at home. Um, you know, no, where early intervention no. can make a huge difference to a child if they're given the services oh, they need young, exactly, you know. Exactly. This is just, it's ridiculous. And I don't know, I'm just kind of, I just wanted to highlight this I because know, I, I I'm, like I'm, I am a private person and I, I didn't want to do this. But like last night was so scary. And probably I, I'm, I'm just thinking, what if he, you know, had a major head injury and looks he quite died. bad to me. Does he hit his head off concrete walls? Well, like uh, he wouldn't do it before, but this is a now a recent thing. He started hitting with his uh, knee, and then last Monday we saw him going and hitting his head on the wall. So I don't know whether he's copying other children as well. Oh, no. So I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you're not alone. It yeah. doesn't come as any consolation to you. No, and I'm sure no. that I'm going to get calls from other families who can empathise what oh. you're going through because they are too. Oh. You know. Yeah, it's it's not fair. It's not fair. Like I mean, it's this is like. What are they doing? Like, yeah, they're yeah. kind of very good to come and tick the boxes, but what's the use of ticking a box? I mean, I, I, could, get a, I could get a politician on the air, particularly a politician oh, from around where you but live. I but actually, it will be I, ju- it'll I just to, be waffle, you know? No, exactly. I went to Sean Sherlock in January, and he wrote to, I think, the multidisciplinary team, and they were back and forth coming. And I kind of said, because before I, uh, there was a boy who was referred before, and uh, he was uh, like uh, after Chinook, and he was uh, seen. So I was kind of saying, why is Chinook not being seen? What's the reason? Tell me. But then they were kind of telling me, oh, this is G, what's this GDPR or whatever. GDPR, yeah. Cut, well, if there's yeah. a waiting so list, people should be treated fairly on the list. You know? I know. No yeah, but, uh, the I kind of said, is it because of my color that he's been you know treated like this so they kind of said oh you can't say that uh, this is uh, GDPR you can't I, we can't talk about other children I'm like oh, oh, they're kind of you know attacking me from everywhere like I have no help so um, do you have happiness in your life in spite of any of this or is your life just one long nightmare of worry it is a nightmare but like when Chinook is good yeah, and happy like I mean like now last Sunday, my my daughter uh, turned eighteen, and like it was a not it wasn't a big party, but there were two families, and oh my god, like Chinook was so good because there was like there's another boy Chinook absolutely adores, and he brings him DVDs, and Chinook was the happiest, like he was mm. so good. I must like, lift your heart when you see that because that's what a oh. man wants to see. Exactly. And like he could be so good and like he has been so good. It's just that this period has been so bad and we desperately need help and there's no one helping us. And like I I, I want him to be independent. I want him to, you know, not like, you know, call out for help and all this stuff. We just want him to be independent and I'll do anything I can to kind for him to be independent and everything. But they're not giving us the no. chance. They're not, skilling, they're not skilling him up for adulthood because no, he'll have a no. long life and you don't want it exactly. to be a traumatic life. Exactly. And I, I am so scared to die. Like my biggest care is to die. Like that's my biggest care. That's... I mean, like, what if I die? There's no one, absolutely no one to look after Chinook. Who will mind my child? Who will mind my child? Yeah. 
Who will know my, my child biggest, like me? Yeah. Like, and I have told my daughter, like, if something happens, you have to mind it. My, you know, she know, but, you know, I can't put all that pressure on him, uh, on her as well. And how did like, she respond to that? Too? What did she say? Oh, she's to- very good. She's like the best. Like, she's so good. She accommodates everything for him and she's so, so good. So, like, you know, she's always there. Like, she's like, mommy, don't worry. I will look after Shinook. <laughs> but, you Aww. know, that's... That's not, uh, it's horrible. It is horrible. It's horrible also when a private person and a family like yours it feels they have to go public to tell the story that is yeah. so private regarding a much-loved son. Hang on, hang on there. Amy, good morning. Hi, how are you? Isn't that just, I'm assuming you heard all that. Isn't it heartbreakingly sad? It, the injustices in this country, uh, the inequity in this country, the waste. It's something that I'm just, I suppose finding out like I'm just starting out the journey um, with my son who's four and it's so he's still waiting through the system for an assessment the last two years How did you feel that possibly now he could hit 15 and still not have any intervention? Oh it's quite possible is that worrying though? Got to be very. It worrying. is so. Um, like I have a great family and I have great help that we were able to get the money to go private because my problem was, like when he starts primary school, um, he's not like he just turned four. Okay. There's okay. no way he's ready this year, um, so and next year I'm kind of like, would it be a unit that he needs? To, like, what kind of school? I does know, he need? I know. But so you had to. Pay privately to get what you should have got, but you're on a waiting list for. 1,500 I had to pay for an assessment, just for the assessment. Okay, that's that's an assessment though. That doesn't entitle him to anything. Yeah, but what about the the, the psychologist, occupational therapist, intervention? Yeah, that's all private. So speech and language, they taught me a minimum wait list of three years. So he'd have very, very little speech. So if you were to go privately for that, that would be something you would also have to finance? Um, It is 50 euro for a half hour session. For every session, 50 euro? Every session, every single session, yeah. Okay. And it's something that I had to take a break from for a while because I couldn't afford it. You couldn't afford it, yeah. Yeah. But it was something that I thought I kind of needed to do because I needed to find out where he might be so that I can figure out what kind of school he might need or what school can facilitate him. And that's something that I have to do all on my own because you're on a wait list. You're on a wait list, and that's all you get. You're on a wait list. You said in you said in your text for me to pass on your mobile number to uh, yes. Githandri. Why is that? I just think there is like support groups and stuff out there, but everybody's situation is completely different, and you don't want to always go there to talk about your situation, or you don't want to go and talk about, oh, I'm on this wait list, or you just want to, something for yourself, like a time out for yourself. And you, um, and you, what are you talking about? Having a chat, going for a coffee. Wants, yeah, have a chat, go for a coffee, even a half hour out of her time. I think you always have to remember yourself as well. Yeah. You hearing, um, you hearing that, that Githandri, about looking after yourself? I know, yeah. I do, yeah. And I know it's, it's hard. You, you'll try, but it was, it's something that never, ever, ever happened. And it's something oh, that yeah. I'm trying to manage myself. Um, and like that, if you just want to go for a coffee, I don't drink coffee, but I'll have hot chocolate or just something <laughs> once a week. I think it's something that you're you're out of your house. Um, it's like you just, I don't know, just time out. 
Okay. Well, that's very kind of you, Amy. I do appreciate yeah, it. But just, uh, I, I don't want to scare that. anybody, uh, Neil, but like uh, when Chinook was diagnosed, I had to go private as well. well so, I'll sorry, tell you, Yandra, I what had, you say? Uh, when Chinook was, di- well, Chinook was on all these waiting lists when he was little and I had to go private, uh, get his diagnosis uh, from Professor Fitzgerald. So, Things haven't changed much, yeah. so yeah. this is. I don't want to scare anybody, but this is what's, you know, no, what we are facing. Every day. It's not scaring it anybody. Is. I think people actually realise it already. Yeah, because this is exactly what's happening, and now he's fifteen, and there's no help. Yeah, and he'll move and from he'll move from adolescent to adult services, and I. As far as I'm aware, um, I think when you are sixteen, it's you're not um, on the child. It is. It is. It moves. So up. what are they doing? Just parking people on waiting lists until such oh, time yeah, as they, they turn yeah. into so-called adults. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so waiting so, like, lists have been offered. Waiting. I was offered one or two things for um, speech and language. Um, the way they offer it to you, it's like, oh, you can go and do this thing for, it's like once a week for eight weeks. It's not mm. speech and language. It's just somewhere no. that I go first and they teach me how to cope at home with things. Yeah. But sure, yeah. if they don't know him or know how he is at home, how, they help, sock, how can they know, teach that's me? That's only like throwing a bone. And I've had, I've had that twice already in the oh, last few years. Okay. Sorry about, sorry about your situation, Amy, but uh, it doesn't sound as if it's uh, a whole lot of optimism ahead. Go ahead, Gil Handry. Yeah, so basically they're very good to pass on your child to someone else. This is what they do. Everything is, oh, he yeah. should do this and they pass on. It's mm. just, they kind of want to wash their hands off. I hope, I hope by sharing your story, it helps in some sort of a way, you know, because I'm seeing a yeah. lot of people getting in touch now, texting and having their own stories to share, which I'm going to get to. It may feel yeah. a little bit better in the sense that you're not alone or isolated. It's a little consolation to you, but you're not alone, you know. Yeah, thanks. But like, you know, I just wanted to highlight this right. and say how bad things are. Very bad, and yeah. Like, yeah. it's it's... Like, something has to, they have to do something. Like, it's not fair, like. Okay, okay. Thanks for sharing the story, Githandri. Thank Thank you you so much. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to say about going forward. Sometimes I feel very helpless in situations like this, just listening to somebody's stories, knowing that, you know, I mean, what, what, what can you do? Who can you talk to? Who can you say? fix this too. Um, if it was fixable they'd have done it. It's all just lip service I think and the list just seems to get longer and longer. Uh, we got calls on the way after the break on this. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106 Red FM. Gahandri was saying in her email that Chinook uh, when he has meltdowns he tries to throw his anger away. He's trying to get the anger out of himself. Uh, so he was he had this door handle that came off when he was when he was going through the meltdown and he was smacking himself in the head with it. And uh, she, of course, has to take emergency action to protect herself and her daughter. Um, and it's heartbreaking because it's not really like him. He's just a lovely, lovely boy. And you could not blame him even 1% because it's not his fault. The fault really lies with those that just won't or seem to say that they can't help him. And I see other texts coming in on this text 0868104106. Jim, good morning. Neil, how are you, boy? Yeah, it's uh, it's shocking actually. It's when you hear the when, when you hear the life history stories, of course, it brings it all home. The real stories, you know. Absolutely, I mean Cassandra there and and Chinook. Like this is a typical uh, family with autism, and she probably has it at the higher level. Other people have it at the lower level, but it's the government uh, failing 
kids and families again. Time and time again, we're getting it, you know, and especially with the autism. This is going on a long time with uh, autism. As you can see, people have it 15 years, 20 years. People have gone through the service and got nothing, you know. Yeah, many have gone through um, the, ser- the CAMS services, the adolescent services, um, with no intervention, and the child then goes no into adult. Like, yeah. uh, like, to be honest with you, if you look at the likes of Chinook, who's 15 years old, he's a very big lad, like, he'd pass for a 20, 21, 22-year-old yeah. in this, yeah, in this yeah. photograph. He's, he's, he's all but an adult now. Yeah, and he's been he's been failed by the government. And you know, my my point again, and I said this I suppose a few times, but it's amazing like that if that lady gave her child up to foster care, he would get every service in the morning because, you know, the government looks after their own, you know. So one child has been treated different to another child. Mm. And, you know, Cassandra's child has, has the right to access every service in this country the same as any other child next to her. It's a know? human rights violation, really, that. yeah. 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 She's not getting that. And like, there's, there's, a, there's a simple way of sorting this out. It can be done overnight. And I think everyone should start attacking the government now, especially Autism Ireland. I don't know who's asleep in that camp, you know. No disrespect to them, but they're not getting it right. Um, there's no point having the badge and, and it's no good just only for collecting money. But maybe they're but, as exasperated. Well, maybe it's time that the, the, the people... That the, sometimes you need new blood in, in committees and stuff. But... Like, I mean, the yeah, one simple actually, thing they should push forward. It would be a good idea for us to talk to Autism Ireland, incidentally. To, Absolutely. To say, yeah, I mean, to they're representing everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, one simple solution, Neil, look, I mean, we've done it on other things with operations and stuff, and there should be a time limit on waiting lists for children. So, we say if, if Chinook is waiting there for, for over a year, then he is entitled to go private, and the state must pay. That's mm, it. Because mm, mm. that's all these consultants like want. Like the overseas the purchase scheme kind of thing, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So they, they, you know what's happening. All, we, well, okay, we have enough consultants, we have enough doctors, we have enough specialists, so they're running all their private practices, so we have nobody to look after the ordinary people. So they're all going to have to go private, and the government should pick up the ticket. There's no end of money here. We have plenty of money. So at a point where you would say maybe 12 months or whatever that number would be, if yeah. that passes without the help pro- publicly they should pick up the tab for it privately. And, and, and I think someone should take legal action against the state right now. It should be Autism Ireland. And they should go to Europe because they're failing the children. Mm. I think there's a legal quandary here that someone should just take the government to task on this, mm. go to Europe, and the Minister of Health should be bought to shame of the government. And that's the end of this problem. Mm. Okay, good point. It's, right. it's just travelling on and travelling on. Like there's one billion pounds at the moment in the EC fund, right? A billion pounds would help a lot of children that the government will not collect because it's COVID money and they can't produce the paperwork for it. In other words, the DC will come in and make sure the books are okay and balanced, but the civil servants haven't so got it So is that done. a billion that wasn't spent on COVID? It's a billion. That, it's supposed to be the real... I think 350 million of it was earmarked for the uh, rail link to Balancholic. The, the new connect. How can they, how can they do... They can move it from fund to fund, can they? No, no, they can't collect this. Uh, they can move it from fund to fund. They can come in as... They can agree to do it to Balling College and then take it out of it and give it to something else. But they have to collect it first. But they can't collect it unless they have their book work done. The same as the rest of us with book work. The EC will not hand the money over until they return the books. And they haven't returned the books. But even when they have allocated funding, and I know this of Cork, but uh, probably is true to say about Cork City Council and Cork County Council, they were incapable of spending the funding they had for building houses. They they yeah, yeah. didn't didn't spend the full allocation of that. Um, 
like, and this is why you must be taking out of our hands. A lot of this stuff must go private. It's affecting all of us now, and you know. I but here's the thing: the they, they will they will say that it's it's actually a staffing issue that they they let's say for instance in a typical case where it could be a psychologist that's needed or an occupational therapist that they can't employ them. There aren't enough available. Well, you're not, well, they're not, one, they're not training them up, but two, there's plenty available in the private section. It's, if the government can't take them on or okay. train them and the private se- section is, is available to them, run by the same consultants and doctors, I presume, right? And why making money? Well, then they have to move into the private scene and use them. They were going to do it during COVID when they paid $150 million a month for the, COVID, for the private hospitals, something they didn't use. Yeah. And then yeah. the private hospitals say, we're only taking the select patients, we'll only take people we want. We mm. won't take everyone. Mm. Okay. That's the kind of deal they're doing, like. Okay, okay. All right. So it's okay. available. It's available. Autism Ireland should challenge, or someone should at least challenge the government, challenge them at the European Court, and embarrass them. Because without this, the autism kids that aren't even born haven't got a chance because everyone is going private. Because they have to go private to get their child into school. Yeah, at the earliest possible time, private. Thanks, Jim. I was watching All Leo's right. questions yesterday, Neil, and Mary Lou put questions to Leo uh, about the waiting time for children waiting for help, just like that lady on air with you. And she said uh, people are being told, as in you know, Mary Lou McDonald said, people are being told that they won't be seen till at least 2026. Imagine that. He simply just went around in circles with answering her because it's all the same bull with him and all governments. Uh, watch yesterday's Doyle sessions and you will see for yourself. Somebody else says there was a child on primetime the other night, autistic child, waiting to get an assessment from the HSE and they gave the child's parents an appointment for 2028 says Desi. 2028. Text 0868104106. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Okay, to the phone lines again. Louise, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. Does a big chunk of your household income, the money coming into the home, go on paying privately services that you should be getting for your children publicly? Yeah, basically. Uh, like, um... We've got nothing for our son so far. We got two appointments for OT for our daughter. Are both of them deemed to be on the spectrum? Both of them are on the spectrum, yeah. They live with autism? Yep. Okay, okay. Okay, And like the needs, like just treatments they need and they're not getting anything, you know what I mean? It's all all fighting. We just spend our life fighting for stuff like, you know, and like um, my... My son, we actually went private. We went to Dublin when he was younger to get him diagnosed because he, things were getting bad and we knew he needed to be in the unit. Do you mind me asking what you meant by getting bad? Like, he needed extra support at school and everything and school aren't obliged to give extra support unless they have a diagnosis, basically. You know. Would this be a traditional school so or a special needs school? Um, he's in. He's in. He was in mainstream school at right. the time, but starting to struggle. But, yeah. yeah, he was struggling big time. Yeah, he's struggling socially big time. Like he couldn't concentrate with the noise around him. Sensory, like yeah, totally. Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so when you like, were, when you go to Dublin, then what was the cost involved in that? Um, at the time, I think it was nearly nine hundred. And is that just for? Uh, is that a one-off? Daily visit? Yeah. It lasts about half an hour. Half an hour? 
Yeah. Could be 900 euro. Somebody said to me earlier on 1500, like for a half an hour. It was 1500 for my daughter, yeah. For a half an hour yeah. assessment. Yeah, but like like we all know that they have autism, you know what I mean? It's not it's very obvious, like. But you're looking just, for some kind of official paperwork, is it? We need official paperwork so they can get what they need service-wise in school and stuff, you know. But how could justify... Sure she unit now. I, mean, I mean, she is now because you paid the 1500 to get the cert. Yeah. But who can justify 1500 euro or even 900 euro for a 30-minute appointment? It was worth it, though. Oh, no, she got I... into a unit, you know. Ah, but come on now. Like, it's not fair, like, it's not on. fair that... And, like, he hasn't got any services since because when he got diagnosed in about... I think it was three and a half years later by the HSC, they just diagnosed him and I was at this. We haven't got anything since because I say they think we've loads of money. So you're kind <laughs> of in a... You're, like, could, you could be in a file that's marked parents who went private, so must have yeah. money. Yeah, because we weren't going to declare that we were in private, but because he's in a unit, he has to be diagnosed. But yet, but yet so you, no you struggled to get that money and everything else suffers because you need to find that money. Oh, it was our savings. Louise. Safe, you know? And that's just the way it, it is. It's that way for most people. Like, I'm not the only one in that situation, you know what I mean? I, I'm actually flabbergasted that somebody can charge... 900 euro or even 1500 euro for a 30 minute appointment it's like as if you know this is the kind of money that can be made because they can't go anywhere else kind of moment yeah my god like obviously Dave you fill out forms before you go and all that like but yeah (laughs) yeah but it's still 30 minutes I know, I know, but it's 30 minutes where you you have that peace of mind that your child is going to get what they need. But that's just out of desperation. That's why you yeah. have the peace of mind. Yeah, because oh you're not going to get it from the HSE. Like, you're not going to, you know, like there like early intervention since you've done before they go to school, I'm sure. My two didn't get early intervention. There's also big issues for children, not just indeed with uh, assessments for you know intervention regarding uh, being on the spectrum, but uh, things like like um, issues involving uh, orthodontics, you know, um, opto- ophthalmology for children, um, issue, issues with uh, you know growth problems with with bone bones and developmental issues yeah. with with children. There are waiting lists for all of that. Oh, everything, yeah. No. And like the children are issues future. because of scoliosis, the the or entry, like. early diagnosis of other conditions that children would have. Yeah, by virtue of the fact that people need it supplied publicly because it's expensive. Yeah, it's very expensive. Oh. Very. I don't like. I'm. I just. I just think like the children are going to be the future of the country. Like, yeah, yeah. and they're not being looked after. All right. They really okay. aren't. Like, okay. And it's very sad. All right. Thanks, Louise. Thanks, Louise. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. I know a lot of people will have a lot to say on that topic of conversation. In other conversations this morning, um, the IT bubble is bursting with more and more job losses. It was done by Meta um, earlier this morning, shedding Irish jobs. 
Um, what Mike says is uh, what we really need is jobs creation in the housing sector, building houses, not social media, which will not put a roof over anybody's heads. Uh, our government is far too interested in specific areas of the economy concerned with high growth. But as we have seen, rapid growth can often be followed by rapid, contra- rapid contraction as it has with social media companies. Yeah, and even if there is a growth, say, in IT and in social media employment in Ireland, where are they all going to live? Uh, Somebody else says, good news for you. Ireland is consistently in the top three wealthiest world countries and often number one in the EU. The real measure of wealth should be the people index, as in, do people feel they live in a wealthy country. And I was mentioning an increase for pensioners in the upcoming budget. Of course, there will be, and rightly so. But Mary says, all these increases are being given to pensioners, parents, etc. How about the public service pensioners whose pensions aren't indexed linked at all? They might not have worked, they might not have worked their full service and are living on the same pensions since the day they retired public service pensions. Some of these are very elderly and are not entitled to any of the increases you talk about. They don't even get a double bonus at Christmas. They don't get fuel allowance apart from the free travel, TV license and €35 a month towards their gas and ESB. They don't get any of that, but every 70-year-old gets it. I'm the daughter of one of these pensioners. I see her struggle with the recent cost of living, uh, says Mary. Um, And then somebody says, David Stanton will retire on a massive pension. Uh, doing little for East Cork, uh, but uh, fast, but obsessed with fast-tracking asylum seekers into brand new homes, while locals continue to wait twelve years for even a single viewing. Well, that's quite harsh, isn't it? That's quite harsh. And on Rip Off Ireland, it's the same with other. I was mentioning products this morning that have gone crazy price prices. It's the same with sanitary products; they've all gone up in price. Um, last year, six jam cakes were one ninety nine for six. Now they have packs of eight. For four ninety nine, same jam cakes, total rip off Ireland, and we sold or sold to the EU. Oh, and incidentally, on a very lighthearted note, keep those texts coming up and asking the question: If Cork Airport were announced of new flight out of Cork Airport in the morning, where would you like it to be? Where would you like a new flight to go that doesn't already exist in Cork Airport? Text 0868 104 106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. It's a cracking text. It really and truly is. Have a listen to this. Very sad what you're talking about this morning, but typical of our government. Over 80,000 are on waiting lists. Uh, over 80,000. Over 608,000 euro was paid over to PWC management consultants working in our hospital. For what? Uh, this is a recent uh, story that I was telling you about at CUH where PWC are in doing uh, reviews of how work is conducted within the hospital. So huge amounts of money found for that. 42 million per month is paid for refugee accommodation. 42 million per month. We are so wealthy. Um, On a tiny separate issue, I retained every single receipt for one year with the VAT included on them. I'm elderly, living alone. Uh, I paid €1,300 in VAT by me alone on those receipts last year. This was before the price hikes in food. It gets harder every day to survive in this country. That's a fantastic piece of research you've done there, keeping all of your receipts and working out what the VAT was. I bet you've also, you're also in a position now to compare many of the prices from 12 months ago on those receipts with the prices now. All of those sneaky price increases that we hear about. My father actually studies receipts very closely as well. He's almost got a photographic memory about it. And he's absolutely right because it's very valuable research. Because if you can look at a receipt from three months ago or six months ago and look at something you got yesterday, 
in an Aldi or a Tesco or a Lidl or a Dunn's or whatever, you, you will be able to see the difference there. I only mentioned one that struck me in the face yesterday and it was a kilo bag of coffee beans, now 17 euro. Last year, uh, 14 euro. And you've got to wonder why. What kind of an increase is that when, it, when you look at it from the point of view of percentages? Uh, I guess it's somewhere in the region of what, maybe 25%? And if that was on everything... You'd need to be earning at least 25% more. But we have a preoccupation in this country, or at least those in power have, with they're obsessed, like, with spending money on cycle lanes. They're obsessed with footpaths, you know? They're obsessed with bridges, whether it's for cars or for pedestrians, at vast amounts of money. But anyway, don't get me started. Let me get back to the phone lines. Nicola, good morning. Hi, Neil. How has your journey been? Um, basically, my, my daughter's only three, Um and we kind of knew from, the, like I'd say, about eight months old. We just knew that comparing her to my other daughter, it was like, it just, uh, I just didn't know what it was. Me, like, start, I was like, there's something wrong and I can't put my finger on it. Because there would have been nobody in my family that would have been autism, really. And yeah. I didn't know that that's what it was. I just thought her speech was delayed. Like, she never, ever looked at us. And I just thought, everyone's saying, she's a COVID baby. You don't leave her out. She's grand. Don't worry about her. Yeah. And I knew... I actually just think it's a mother's instinct. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, you know, okay. Wrong with, yeah, yeah. wrong with her child. But I brought her to her 12 month checkup, and she, I told nobody, not even my own mother, that I thought there was something wrong, not even my husband. And she turned around to me inside the appointment and she said, Do you think that there's a bit of delay with Libby? And I, I actually breathed. I was like, Oh my God, I'm not the only flagging person that thinks that I'm going mad. Yeah. And I just started from there, really. Um, Did that come as some kind of a relief to you then? Not, not a relief, but I just thought that if I didn't, if she didn't say it, that I would have just left it off for another way. Do you get me? Like, if I, if I, if I thought... Time would have been wasted. I yeah. never said it to anyone, then they would have just been like, ah, she's just delayed. Because, Neil, if there's not in the family, you wouldn't damn on. Of course. You would just think she's Be just child delayed. Because, yeah. you know, some kids just come on after the age of three or come on themselves overnight. Slow starters, yeah, 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 yeah. They catch you up. No, I just, that's what I thought was wrong, to be honest, but... She had sat in, and then I was just referred to, to hair and tests and all these things. And yeah, so, so you had an assessment at 13 months and heard absolutely nothing since. Not a single thing. I went to one appointment, and they told me that I'd hair within the next two or three months because she is basically. They had told me that she is a, a very vulnerable because she has had loads of accidents. She actually recently broke her leg, and she didn't even know. We didn't even know she broke her leg. She doesn't. Uh, she didn't she feel that, no pain. No pain. She feels no pain. Anytime she's ever hurt herself, the child never cries. You know, she'd cry no kneel over a sensory problem. Do you know, in the sense of like, if she went down and it was too windy, she'd cry over that. She'd throw a tantrum, and I'm like, what is wrong with her? Whereas she broke her leg, and I didn't have a clue. But she's walking now. If she's three. She is. She walks. Yeah. On a broken leg. She, yeah. She literally. Do you know what she does now? She lifts the area of her body like. She'd often hurt her hand now or jammed it in the door and she'd be lifting it. She'd just look at it as if like she's phased by it. And I, that's how I know that there's something wrong with her. Does she self-harm at all? She, in, in the cell, at the moment, because she's so young, like listen to that one, I, when I heard her, I was like, oh my God, like I have a long road ahead of me. It's Andrew's 15-year-old like, son, yeah. If yeah. she's a sensory problem or anything like that, she just mashes her head off the floor. She goes absolute ballistic. She hurts herself constantly. Because she can't express herself, you know, like she but can't. Would, talk that would be that, like in, in any kind of medical system that's been run properly. That would be an emergency case. Yeah, like even when I go to any appointment, I'm like, 
I'm like, what can I do? Like, well, how am I going to ever know that she's in pain? And they're like, unfortunately, this is just all part of it and etc. And I'm like, that's not flogging arms. She's only flogging three. Yeah. She can't talk. She can't yeah. tell me. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, does she, does she talk at all? No. No, she she's never spoken ever. And she's only starting to get her eye contact now. Like I'd nearly have to grab her by her jaw. Okay. She'd be like, Libby, Libby, look, mommy, daddy, etc. You know it. So when you hear of stories, just just finally, unfortunately, the clock is against me. When you hear of stories like Githandri talking about her son, Chinook, um, at fifteen, that must frighten you the life out of you. It does, Neil, just because of her future. Like, they're telling, especially with the weight in this. And, Neil, I just can't understand why they don't have a system in place. Do you know, like, with um, the crash, there's a substance you can get. If you send your child to crash, you can get something off. Like, you don't have to pay the full whack. Why well, they can't do that with the private system? Like, at the moment, I'm going through the private system, and I'm lucky enough that uh, my husband works himself. Like, this is why, like, we gave up our jobs working for people because we couldn't depend on it, like people minding her because they couldn't trust her yeah. they were afraid that her life to mind yeah. her because she was going to hurt herself oh it's a huge so impact yeah. that we can pay we can go to work when we want and not go to work when we don't want right. to pay for her to go to a private system like they had told us like I'm on to make a worse deal I'm actually on the private list 13 months so that's God. outside oh the God. HSE oh so like the private system is actually wor- that's backed up as well do you know what I mean? So it's not just the, the HSE as well. And like she did, had told me because she needs OT and she needs speech and therapy, but she needs to be assessed. Now she's getting speech and therapy all along, so we're lucky enough to pay for it. But at that deal, something else is taken out then for her to, for that to be paid for. Of course, you have to it. rob Peter to she's pay Paul. She's even yeah. more delayed yeah. in her future. You know, when, I heard, when you hear people like that coming on the radio, you're like, my child doesn't stand a chance if I don't if I don't defend for who else. Well, well I don't mean to be putting. The, I don't mean, mean, mean to be worrying people, but these are just the realities of it. But listen, thanks, Nicola. Appreciate you sharing your story. We're back after eleven, guys. Coming up on the Neil Prendival Show, an Irish woman's story of a life in the fast lane. We had this magical wedding coming up. Like my life was perfect. Dozens of connections, hundreds of millions of euro, and then it turned to chaos. I'm trying to tell a toddler. That her father is gone. I didn't think I'd ever had to do. A story of love and loss, and a man who needs to be heard to be believed. Jamie used to always say to me, You couldn't make this up. Catch the new podcast, You Couldn't Make This Up, on the Neil Prendival Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And listen to the entire series from Wednesday, 31st of May, on the Go Loud app and wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. Um, listen, tomorrow is a very big day in lots of different ways. It's the start of the weekend, of course, and it's the end of our giveaways in association with Carew's Wood Garden Centre and Cafe in Castle Martyr. Tomorrow, I have the Super Deluxe Weber Genesis Gas Grill Barbecue to give away. It's worth, if you were to buy this, it's worth €1,900 Euro and it's perfect for everything with regards to cooking outdoors. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. I mean, you can do your steaks and your chicken and your sausages and all sorts of things, but also roasted chicken on it. You can even make a pizza on it. It's just a serious summer machine. Uh, the new uh, gas grill barbecue uh, from Weber. Um, wouldn't be surprised if it was Bluetooth as well. So for tomorrow, and we all have one of these stories. In fact, I've got a good half dozen of them uh, alone. Um, we want to hear your house party stories, your hosting of parties stories at home or in the garden, particularly... And this is just the way my mind works, particularly the ones that have gone wrong. Could have been a summer barbecue that gone wrong, a dinner that went wrong, an event that went wrong. 
just maybe even inviting a few friends to your place for a little get-together that may have got a little bit out of hand. Well, we want to hear about it. We've all been at one of them or had one of them. Those kind of stories. As I say, I've lots of them, but much of them, of course, would be covered under (laughs) GDPR because there'd be other people who wouldn't want me to tell them. But I will tell you a couple of my own stories tomorrow morning. Unfortunately, it was back in the day, a lot of the time, when I was just drinking too much wine. But anyway, uh, that's a confession for you. So I want to hear your stories, not mine. You can text or WhatsApp 0868-104-106 on that one. And also, you can check us out. I imagine on Facebook and Twitter, we're also asking people to share those stories on our social media pages as well. But we want to hear about your party stories. The best one tomorrow wins our 1900 euro super deluxe Weber Genesis gas grill barbecue from Carew's Wood Garden Centre and Cafe down in Castle Martyr. Lots more to do between now and midday, but after the break, episode three of the podcast, which we will load in its entirety, all seven episodes of it will go online um, and, you know, on the uh, Go Loud app and also on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. Next Wednesday, the 31st of May, you can hear them all. But episode three of You Couldn't Make This Up after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Okay, that was episode three of You Couldn't Make This Up, episode four tomorrow and so on and so forth until all seven episodes are played on air and that will be on the 31st of May. That's Wednesday of next week. At that point, I will put all of the podcast episodes together and put them on podcast platforms like the Go Loud app and then the here on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts and you can listen in your entirety. It gets crazier and crazier as it goes on. Um, I'm sure you'd agree. Indeed, if you have any stories yourself that you would like to share regarding any episodes or incidents you have attached to the podcast itself or indeed uh, the protagonists involved in it, uh, get in touch. Email neil at uh, redfm.ie. A text 0868104106. Um, what, you, what you won't see in the podcast episodes is the vast quantities of research and paperwork that we've put together from a lot of Cork businesses, incidentally, uh, who have uh, very large debts outstanding and bills unpaid who didn't actually want to be named within the podcast because they felt it might be um, detrimental to their businesses. And I acknowledge all of that and thank them uh, for the emails and the letters they sent to me uh, to back up uh, our podcast series. So episode four uh, on tomorrow's programme. Could I also just mention regarding my conversation with Tom Curran yesterday, the partner of the late Marie, Marie Fleming, we're asking the question on Twitter and there's about two hours left now if you want to vote in our poll as to whether there should be legislation allowing assisted dying in the Republic of Ireland. Will we eventually deal with it and either reject it or allow it, allow it on the statute books? But the question being asked on Twitter is, should there be legislation allowing assisted dying in the Republic of Ireland. You can vote either yes or no on that on my Twitter page and I'll give you the results for tomorrow. Massive response and great research incidentally as well for Cork Airport. And I will talk with Cork Airport hopefully early next week about this. I've been asking by text that if Cork Airport announced a flight in the morning to a new destination, where would you like it to be? You can text on that. I'll say no more about it and I'll give you the full results of all of the texts and the top three countries or places that people would like to see a flight out of Cork Airport to in the morning. But for now, where would you like to see a new flight out of Cork Airport? Text 0868 104 106 and I'll come back to that one in the morning. Um, so we'll say no more about that. Can I just say um, that 
on this day, 100 years ago, I want to bring Professor Gabriel Doherty in. He's the UCC School of History professor and he joins me by phone. Gabriel, good morning. So it was on, on this day, 100 years ago, the people of Ireland and more importantly, Cork, were waking up to the first day of no civil war. Yes, uh, and it was, of course, as we know now with the benefit of hindsight, there was fears at the time that there might be a renewal of fighting, etc., but that never really happened. Uh, so it's the first time you could argue in more than 10 years that some form of political normality uh, had prevailed after 10 years of going back to the, the home rule crisis, the labour upsets before the First World War, the debates about female suffrage, the First World War, War of Independence, partition, and then the Civil War. Uh, it had been a, a tumultuous decade. And again, even though people couldn't be absolutely certain at the time, today, 100 years ago, was, was the first day, as it yeah. were, of the hereafter. Yeah. After, I believe, 10 months, three weeks and five days of civil war, a very different one, because what I, what I learned years ago was it was the one that pitted brother against brother, sister against sister, parents against children, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, no, not in every case, obviously. I mean, there were, there were families that were solidly pro-treaty or anti-treaty, but in a number of cases, because of the nature of the issues involved, because of the emotional investment that some had in, on, the, on the question of one side or another, uh, that you did have families right down the middle and, and probably, I think most famously, the, the Hales family of West Cork who had performed such heroic deeds during the War of Independence. Uh, the, the, the brothers in particular took, took different sides and there's one of them lost their life as a consequence. So, uh, and, and that story was replicated perhaps in less public fashion uh, in a number of other families with, with, with long-term serious consequences yeah. for the families and, and as it were for the broader society. For many, many years. I mean, I don't know, is it behind us now a hundred years ago, that division? But of course it all started, did it not, with Michael Collins signing the, to some unacceptable treaty in London, wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose, yes. I mean, that's the obvious point. Now, I think one point that should be made is that some of the, the divisions that emerged and were focused on the treaty were there in perhaps latent form even before the signing of the treaty. I mean, the, the personal conflicts between Collins and some of the other high-profile figures on the other side, people like Cahill Brewer, had been brewing for some time, but they'd been kept in-house. But those, those divisions, among others, then erupted in very public fashion during mm. the Doherty debate on the treaty mm. in December 1921, January 1922. So the, the, there was a mixture as well, but the, the treaty certainly focused uh, many existing divisions and created new ones. Okay. Would it be fair to put a figure, I think I read it in the Echo, that 2,000 people are thought to have died during the Civil War? Would that be accurate enough? That's, that's, it's about the, the, the figure. It's, it's impossible to get a precise figure simply because many people were, let's say, injured during the Civil War, didn't die during the, the period, as it were, but they had their lives shortened and died shortly thereafter. So there's a question of to what extent can you attribute those deaths to the Civil War, even though they may, have, chronologically speaking, have fallen outside the period of the conflict itself. Yeah, and, and for maybe for another day, I know that there was another sub-story to this, and this was regarding injuries and pension uh, applications because of that fight, you know, wasn't yeah. there? There was a lot of yeah. issues there and people had difficulty proving, you know, what they were doing and where they were. But it was, so it was a case that Frank Aiken, who was the Chief of Staff of the Anti-Treaty IRA, he just told yeah. everybody to 
put down your arms or did they did they dump them? This would have been the first morning when Cork people would be able to walk around safely. But what actually happened? Because there would have been a lot of Republican prisoners, would there not, have been in prison? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple of issues there with regard to the the, the dump arms order. Remember that, uh, in effect, uh, an, info, uh, an informal ceasefire had been observed by Republicans for some weeks prior to the formal dump arms order. Uh, the Republicans were point blank refused to surrender their weapons to the three state authorities, which had been the, the constant demand uh, of the, both the provisional government before December 1922 and then the, the, the free state government afterwards. Uh, so rather than, as we were, subject themselves to that perceived surrender of, of giving up their arms, the, the decision was taken simply to, to dump their arms uh, and to keep them, as it were, out of. Arms way, and, and of course, potentially, uh, if they were ever needed again. again. On, the, on, on, on the prisoner issue, it's, it's very interesting because for many, many months after the, the end of the Civil War, as it were, which I suppose had fallen yesterday, thousands and thousands of prisoners remained uh, either imprisoned or interned. Some under uh, threat of execution. You had like 300 women. Uh, and girls who were were imprisoned, etc. So, and, and and that remained a very very sore point. I mean, it led to a huge hunger strike later in 1923, very controversially in Cork. Uh, Dennis Barry, who a very prominent Republican and very prominent in many other areas, especially died, GAA, did, died on hunger strike. He was refused a, a church funeral by Bishop Corlin at the time, uh, and and. The Cork Athletic Grounds, the little forerunner of Porky Cueve, uh, were burned uh, during a campaign of arson by Republicans uh, in late 1923 as they were trying to put pressure on the government uh, to release those internees. So there, there, was, a, there was a legacy, an aftertaste uh, of the actual conflict itself, which continued, and of course famously, I suppose, in, in concrete form in the political system for decades and decades thereafter. But one thing that, that kind of interested me was that it, would, it wouldn't happen now, but if you had prisoners, and let's say Republican prisoners back in, take for example, 1923, was it right to execute them? There, there were prisoners. Why, why would one execute them? Well, that, hey, you, you touch on a very large question there. I mean, uh, there were perhaps most notoriously... Uh, in uh, in the aftermath of the execution of Sean or the assassination of Sean Hales in December 1922, the government took out four prisoners, including Dick Barrett of West Cork, and, and shot them as a reprisal with absolutely no suggestion that any of them had actually committed an offence that could warrant the death sentence. They were, they were explicitly as a reprisal. Uh, even the, the structure of military courts that had been established to put prisoners on trial, et cetera, et cetera. They, they were on a very dubious legal footing for reasons which it probably takes too long to explain. Uh, so, so prisoners had been executed, and, and in addition to those who were formally charged and, and found guilty, you also had sort of allegations of a number of, uh, as were, extrajudicial uh, killings as well. Uh, so it, it, was, it, was, it was very, very problematic from a legal point of view. Did the hunger strike work? I think I read somewhere that there was upwards of about 7,000 Republicans on that hunger strike. Um, and this would have been October of 1923. So it went on for quite a while after the... After the, yes. the, 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 the were, they, were they all freed or, or what? They, they were. They were freed. Now, those who'd been found guilty of an offence, as opposed to interned 
they were kept. Most of them were released early before the formal end of their sentence. Uh, but most of the internees uh, who formed the, the overwhelming majority of those who, uh, as we were, were behind bars or behind prison wire, uh, they, they were released relatively quickly after. Not necessarily for any humane reasons, but largely because as a result of the, the fact that people like Barry were starting to, to die in hunger strike, the government feared the consequences uh, of large numbers of them dying in that way. And it was believed that ultimately, uh, say, it was probably safer to allow them to be released rather than to keep them in prison. And then in the coming days and weeks and months, a fledgling government and a, and a fledgling republic started to attempt to flap its wings in peace finally, right? Well, I mean, I suppose technically it was a free state. But, uh, and remember that the government had been in existence, well, for about eight, nearly 18 months at this point, the provisional government for the whole of 1922, and then the free state government uh, with Cosgrave as its head following the death of Collins in August 1922. So Cosgrave had already been behind the wheel of the car, as it were, for, for nearly a year at this point. Uh, but the, the government had a huge task in its hands. I mean, it, it was obviously the task of rebuilding uh, in a physical sense after the, the destruction of the Civil War, things like the railways, which are, of course, crucial for the economy, uh, but also developing the, the infrastructure of the state and to trying to put in place policies with regard to education and the like. So it was a, it was a huge task uh, and, and, and would have taxed the, the abilities of, of the most talented of the generation, even if the Civil War hadn't occurred. Yeah. But to have this, the legacy of the Civil War on top of that, uh, did create uh, difficulties that, as I said, they, even if the best brains had been deployed, yeah, yeah. they would have probably defeated many of them. Fascinating. It's always a pleasure talking to you, to hear your insight, Gabriel. Thank you so much as we revisit 100 years ago this week. Professor Gabriel Doherty from the UCC School of History. I bet there's people listening to this when they hear Gabriel talking about the start of the rebuilding of this new, um, you know, free state uh, that we had a much better calibre of politician back then. Anyway, your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868 106. I'm out of time. Can just remember a lot happening tomorrow, including the Genesis Gas Grill Barbecue. If you were to buy this it would cost you €1,900. Euro. We have one to give away from Carewswood Garden Centre and Cafe in Casa Marta. We couldn't have timed this better with the beautiful weather, which is super news. So all you got to do is share your own house party or party or hosting story or summer barbecue or family dinner or get together with friends. That went wrong. So you can do that by text. Text 0868 or email neil at redfm.ie. And we'll pick it up in the morning. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.